So I invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. James is found in the New Testament um, towards the back, and so the last big book that Hebrews is, is that James is near is Hebrews, and then you get into a, a few of the very short letters, like 1st and 2nd Peter, Jude, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. Um, so right tucked in the back there is the book of James. Throughout the summer, we'll be studying the book of James, which is a book of practical wisdom. Um, and we're taking a nice, slow, steady start in the summer, and so we're just finishing up chapter 1 this morning. Um, so I invite you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. Verses 19 through 27. And before the reading of God's word, let us pray for the blessing of the word. God, we come to you on the morning of this day and we give you thanks for this is the day that you have made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we give you thanks for this is the word that you have given us. And we will rejoice and be glad in it with curious hearts, with open minds and with souls that are in need of a word from you. Bless the reading of your word and the teaching from it, that you may speak with clarity into our lives, into the everyday situations that we face, that your word may be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, make it so, O Lord. Amen. James chapter 1. Beginning at verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intentionally into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed In what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. All of us experience anger at some point in our lives. It's one of the the core four human emotions, mad, sad, glad, and scared, which easy acronym for that is MSG, but make it plural. Mad, sad, glad, and scared. We all experience these four emotions in any way we describe how we're feeling, is simply a combination or a more complex iteration of those four, mad, sad, glad, and scared. All of us are going to be mad at some point in our lives. All of us have moments of anger. 
James knows this full well and cautions us with these words inspired by the Holy Spirit for him to share with the churches then and the church today. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And it's a word for all of us because anger is not something that presents universally the same for each one of us. We all experience anger, but it might come out in different ways. Some of us are yellers, and we explode with rage and yell at people and break out and and berate people and yell and scream. That's maybe the easy way to point out that that's what anger is. It also startles us and wakes us up if we were getting a little bit sleepy. Some people blow up. They lose their temper, and they scream at people. But don't be mistaken that people who don't do that still experience anger. But it might be in the quiet, seething rage of feeling offended and wronged. And the anger might also make us very quiet indeed, not flying off the handle and yelling. In fact, you judge people who do that, but rather the quiet anger that makes you say, I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to apologize to them until they apologize to me. The times when we hold an offense against someone without ever telling them what happened and the impact that it had on us, but we just figure they should know better. And we will feel fully justified and righteous in our anger that makes us quiet. Anger can stir us up to be passive-aggressive, like a grudge, waiting for someone else to apologize first. And every day that they're not aware of the thing that you never told them, is just fuel for the fire, that you are justified in your anger. Commentator John Stott, one of my favorite scripture commentators, says this, when anger comes in, listening flies out. When anger comes in, listening flies out. This is true on multiple levels because when we are angry, Our capacity to process information is compromised. Think about that. When you are angry, the chemical and neurological reactions in your brain, when you are angry, whether you're yelling and screaming or whether you are just passively mad, when you are angry, your brain lacks the capacity to process new information, which means you will not be listening well even if you try because we're so focused on how we are right that there's no ability to be quick to listen, which is why James starts with being quick to listen, quick to listen, eager to hear, slow to speak, meaning we want to seek to understand before we seek to be understood, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And our capacity in being slow to anger is only possible if we are first quick to listen and slow to speak. And once you're angry, you have to take a step back because your ability to process and listen and hear what someone is saying will not happen. You'll only hear parts of what they're saying. Or maybe you'll hear their words and interpret them the way you want to hear them only to further entrench your position of being angry and feeling justified in your anger. This is all the more reason to be cautious 
about being slow to anger. And for us, as people of faith, there's also a note in which being slow to anger is one of the ways in which we reflect God's image. Have you ever heard or read the words of describing God as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love? Those words are repeated throughout the Old Testament, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It doesn't mean that we'll never be angry, and it doesn't mean that there's not a time and place. But if we're too quick to be angry, we do not reflect the character of God to the world. And so James says, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And this is good because psychologically we've learned what the scripture writers already knew and expounded upon is that when we are angry, we feel completely justified. When you're mad, you feel like you have every right to be mad. But we've also studied the fact that when other people are mad, it is our human nature to assume when other people are mad, we tend to think that they are overreacting. They're just over the top. They flew off the handle. Or they're still upset about that. That was ages ago. It wasn't that big a deal. When other people are angry, our natural inclination is to believe that they are overreacting. When we are angry, we believe that we are right. Which means, every time someone else is angry and you judge them for being over the top, just know that in their heart, they believe they're right. And every time you're angry and mad, someone else thinks that you're overreacting. This is our human nature. This is something that studies confirm again and again and again. We feel justified and we believe other people overreact. So someone else is in the reverse position of you. So what is the standard then? The standard in the book of James is the righteousness of God. Isn't that an interesting standard for whether anger is misplaced or correct or not? The standard for anger is the righteousness that God desires. That is a high standard, and one that is not for us to justify against our neighbor, to justify that we were right when we were mad at them, or that they were overreacting when they were mad, or that we weren't overreacting, but rather the standard is not between us. The standard for our anger is the righteousness that God desires. When anger comes in, listening flies out. Rather, we are given the standard, that the righteousness of God, and this is for all of us. In the same way that Jesus talked about not worrying about the speck in your neighbor's eye, but worrying about the plank in your own, these words about anger are for all of us. Whether we're explosive people who turn into rage monsters when we're angry, or whether we are the quiet, brooding type that are seething with quiet rage. All the same, no matter how your anger manifests, no matter how you feel about it, the standard is the righteousness of God. Because our anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And we are self-justifying by nature. Many, many times I've heard, well, Jesus got angry, Jesus cleared the temple courts so I can be angry too. 
But does your anger pursue the righteousness of God? Does it achieve a measure of righteousness? Or is it you just being angry because you didn't get your way or you felt that you were treated wrongly? The standard for our anger, and it has to start with us, this can't be something that we can just judge other people for, otherwise we're falling into that earlier trap. The standard for our righteousness, the standard for our anger is the righteousness of God. In Ephesians, anger is spoken of as well. In Ephesians chapter 4, it sounds a lot like James because this message, inspired by God, keeps coming up. Caution about our own anger. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25, it is written, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, just as in James. We're cautioned about how we speak. In your anger, do not sin. That verse is a recognition that we will get angry, but don't assume that your anger is not sinful. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Those are strong words to consider for our anger. If our anger is not achieving the righteousness of God, it also is a possibility that that is a foothold on which all kinds of other practices can be built. The grudge that we hold is the devil's foothold to hold us back from experiencing life in the way that God intended for us to live life. What James calls the perfect law that gives freedom. And one of those freedoms is the freedom from our own anger. The freedom for, to forgive and the freedom to be quick to listen even when others are angry with us. There is a time to be angry at our own sin. But even then, that anger should not be anger that leads us into despair and long-term shame. It should be a sense of conviction that brings us to rise above our circumstantial anger and to pursue the righteousness of God. If it's a motivation towards wholeness, then it's grace. And if it's not leading you to grace and obedience, it isn't grace at all. Not so long ago, last week, we had the mouse in the mouse trap in the mystery box, which was quite a good reaction to watch. The mouse was stuck in the trap. It wasn't a live mouse, by the way. It wasn't a dead mouse either. It was a toy mouse. Um, that's actually written on the box. No animals, no live animals, or animals that were previously alive. We thought about writing no, nothing with necrotic tissue, but that seemed a bit specific. Yet when the mouse is stuck in the trap, you ever wonder if that's your own anger that's clamped onto you that you can't get out of on your own? Sin and anger can be a way that is self-entrapping. It takes energy to sustain anger and grudges. It takes a toll on our body, on our mind, on our very soul. So rather, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Don't be like the one who is caught in the trap that now has to bring their anger with them everywhere they go. Reflect the character of God, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
if the righteousness of God is the standard for our anger or lack thereof, then our capacity for extending grace is also the grace that we have received. Being slow to speak is in the beginning of, the, of this passage. Keeping a tight rein on the tongue is at the end. Now, James is a very practical book, so this doesn't mean that we need to take a vow of silence, that we never get to speak again, that we never get to speak our mind, that we never get to share our opinions and thoughts, even our emotions when we have been wronged, when we can confess, I was hurt, I'm angry. But we do so with a tight rein on the tongue. Otherwise, James says our religion is worthless. Be slow to speak. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. Keep a tight rein on your tongue until you have listened fully. Listening to hear what is being said, not just to hear what you want. James is not calling us to a vow of silence to never use our tongues to speak. But he is calling us to be well-measured and thoughtful in what we say. Not a stilled tongue, but a bridled one. In control, according to God's law. That our tongues and the words we share are words of conviction and truth. They are words of edification and building one another up. That they are words of confession that help us bring resolution and reconciliation. Just as we shared in the preparatory for communion, that we need to make things right with one another. And also that communion is one of the ways in which we remember who we are. We remember who we are by remembering whose we are. We remember that we are children of God, invited to God's table. And this is where we remember who we really are. That's what James is getting at with the analogy of the mirror. That anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in a mirror and after looking at themselves immediately goes away and forgets what they look like. Look and forget. And there's consequences to that. There's consequences to walking through this earth not knowing who we really are. Because if we are people of God, then the fruit of God's Spirit should be evident within us. It should show evidence. That's the thesis of James. And yet if we forget who we are, we walk out of this place, we have good fellowship together, we pray together, but then when we walk out of this place, we forget who we are, that we are Christ's ambassadors that we are people with the message of reconciliation, that just as we remember that we are loved and found and healed, that we are people to share the message that they also are to be loved and found and healed through Jesus Christ. Communion is one of the ways in which we remember who we are, that it sticks with us, that we go from this place, because if we go from this place tomorrow and are just angry with someone, We're just waiting for them to ask the right question so that we can share with them the daggers of words that we've been stewing over in our sleep. We do damage to the witness and character that we have been called to as ambassadors of Christ. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, quick to remember who we are, slow to forget who we are, especially in moments of frustration, and slow to let the devil put a foothold in our lives. We do damage when we forget who we are. And it's harder to go back than it is to hold ourselves from going too far forward.
As the phrase goes, it's easier to stay well than to get well. So it is with the damage we can do when our anger gets the best of us. No matter how justified we might feel, to ask ourselves the question, did my anger lead me to the righteousness of God? Did it lead me to the fruit of the Spirit, the pursuit of reconciliation? If not, it's probably not as righteous as we might think. And we might have to admit that we, in fact, were overreacting. The community of the church is one way in which we help each other. We build each other up. Just as the invitation to the preparatory for communion says, if you are in need of wise counsel, then avail yourself. It's someone within the church who you trust. This is how we do this. And it ought to be taken seriously, for this is the word that is planted within us. This is the word that is meant to give life for us. Not to make us feel bad every time that we have a slip of the tongue. Not to make us feel shame every time that our anger did get the best of us. But to be led in the way everlasting where we are free from our anger. And when we are a better listener. When we are a more thoughtful and intentioned speaker. These are good gifts James also, in addition to all this focus on the tongue and on our mind and on guarding ourselves from letting things get the best of us, there's another piece that we're just getting into and we're going to build into it more as this letter leads us into it. But James is focused on the internal and the intrinsic aspects of our faith as well as the external and extrinsic motivators of our faith. And so just as our religion is worthless if we can't keep a tight rein on our tongue, if we can't display the fruit of the Spirit in how we speak to others, even in how we pursue forgiveness when we have been wronged or caused wrong, there's also a social aspect to the justice and righteousness that God desires. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. Why orphans and widows? Because they are vulnerable people in the world, especially in this day and age, but they're still vulnerable people today, in addition to orphans and widows and others. Religion that is pure and faultless is to look after the orphans and the widows, those who are in distress and positions of vulnerability. James is calling to task that what's in our heart should be lived out. It shouldn't just be internal, but you can't tell any difference externally. The internal reflects the external. And so if we say, you know what, I, I keep my heart pure, I, I keep a tight rein on my tongue, I do all of these things, I'm doing pretty good. My heart is right with God. The book of James would simply ask the question, do you care for the vulnerable? Are you a source of hope for the downtrodden? Are you a source of aid and comfort for the down and out? Because if not, then we deceive ourselves. And our heart cannot be right with God if our heart does not share God's priorities. James starts with the orphan and the widow in chapter 1. But we'll move forward throughout this book into the aspects of living out our faith that is written clearly for us. 
that we can't be self-deceived or self-justified in our faith if it's not accompanied with some sense of action that reflects God's priorities, especially for the vulnerable among us. And we do this. There's a lot to be wrestled with here. There's very high standard. James is a book full of high standards, but also God's grace is great and abundant. But James doesn't want us to skirt past that too quickly. Do we focus on the ministry for the down and out and the downtrodden? We've been doing Kids Hope since the very beginning of the program. Why? Because people need hope. People need to know that they're cared for. In the last four years, have we not expanded that to hand to hand? Why again? Is it easy to feel angry that some people are getting free food? Is it easy to blame them and assume that they just made wrong decisions? Sure, it is. But what about if we are to be people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry or easily self justified? God says that He'll punish children for the sins of their sins of their fathers. But that's not our call. Our call is to care for the children among us through things like hand-to-hand, through our participation in the mobile food pantry, through mentoring relationships, through the very teaching that we're going to do recruiting for after service today, that we seek to make a difference in the lives of others because it starts with us. As we get nearer and nearer, as interminable as it might seem at times to being in our new space, I wonder when the first time that any one of us will run into one of those people. We all have a category for those people. What if this space is one area where we interact with those who we might be a little bit quicker to be angry with or to judge? Will the meals shared and the fellowship that is offered be that which is full of eagerness to listen, to learn? to love, to share, and in so doing, fulfill this righteousness of God? Will it be a place for the vulnerable to feel safety and sanctuary? And will it be a place where we demonstrate, even among our own midst, the ability to keep a rein on our tongue in heated moments? And in so doing, demonstrate the righteousness of God and the character of God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This week, keeping James in mind, observe your thoughts, your emotions. Pay attention to what you say and how you say it. And look for the opportunity to share your heart with the priorities in God's heart of looking after the orphans and the widows and those who are in distress in the ways that we already do so, but being open to the opportunities that God has for us. For quick to listen starts with being quick to listen to God, slow to speak until God has spoken to us, and slow to anger to reflect God's character and mercy to the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. God, help us to let your word be planted in us that it may yield good fruit. That whether we are explosive angry people or quietly angry people, 
that we may be mindful that when anger comes in, listening flies out. Help us to listen. And may our listening foster within us compassion. And may our compassion spur us on to action. May we do this so that the religion that we demonstrate in following you, O Lord, is one that demonstrates your love, your character, and your truth. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. This time we're going to collect our morning.